Hey everybody, welcome to the Beautiful Shifts podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Chantel. We're so excited to share with you some inspiring stories. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now it's easier to walk I can see the road before me I am not afraid to fall All right, okay, um... Welcome. We have Carrie with us. Hi, Carrie. Hi. We're so happy to have you here. I'm going to read a quick bio about Carrie and then kind of explain how I know her. So um, Carrie's story and personal journey is one of great loss, but also one of strength and power in surviving and overcoming a deep addiction to prescription drugs. Carrie is not alone in this journey of being human and overcoming challenges. Together, we are what makes up mankind, all here to help others in our personal journeys. Carrie's story may be unique from yours, but nonetheless, it is still a journey she has strived to triumph over, just as you can yours. Perhaps yourself or a loved one can gain hope, healing, and understanding from her experiences. Um, Some things about Carrie is she has four adult children and one granddaughter, and she is um, a director of growth for Keller Williams and also a realtor. So, and that is how I met Carrie is she, I don't know, did you have a different... Um... Yes, I was the director of growth, but only for that brokerage. Okay, now you're like over three? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Carrie, immediately, I felt like I had a connection to her. I was like, wow, she's just so friendly and easy to talk to. And I feel like pretty quick, we kind of opened up personally, like yeah. about our lives. And she made me feel super um, just kind of welcome. And like, I had a friend already. At oh, cool. Likewise. So it was awesome. So, And we kind of shared some of our stories. And so... When we came up with our idea, you were one of the first people that came to mind because I had listened to another podcast you were on. Um, I don't know, maybe last Christmas time. Yeah, Is that I think so. Okay, yeah, and I was just anyway super impressed and with your story and your resilience, and so we're just excited. Well, thank you to have you here. I'm honored. Um, and we were just wondering if you had some fun or interesting fact about yourself you'd like to share so we can get to fun know you a little bit. Fun or interesting <laughs> fact. So I am an identical twin. Ooh. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. And it's interesting how our paths in life have been similar and yet different. Mm. So there was a day that I flew out to her home after she had one of her children to help her. And as soon as I walked through the door, I noticed that she had this entry table that was exactly like one that I had purchased for my home. Without knowing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and then I go deeper into her house, and sure enough, another piece of furniture. So it's... It's been a real blessing in my life to have Christine, that's her name, Mm -hmm. uh, a part of this journey because I feel that of all of my surrounding angels, she was certainly the most constant in my life. Yeah, Um, that's so awesome. That's so cool. That's just one little window into my history about it, Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I I remember you telling me that. I've always been super intrigued by especially identical twins and kind of the connection that they yeah. have and that they still are their own people, you know, own person, but right. yet they have this connection that maybe not a lot of us don't quite mm-hmm. have or understand. And it, it's interesting to me how she has never struggled with chemicals mm-hmm. like I had. Uh, she lost a two and a half year old daughter to cancer. Oh, that's so awesome. we've definitely both had losses that wow. have really formed who we are. Yeah. I know yeah. these things happen to people so they can go in the world and help 
others. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure. That's really interesting. I actually have a fraternal twins, so oh, do you? But I feel like identical is so. It's just interesting. And mine are boy girls, so again, there's that like differentiation as well. But yeah. so it's. But I already know. You know, you raise them similarly, and they're born at the same time, and so. But then the added layer of like sharing the same DNA, and that's just super interesting to me. So, it is. Yeah. yeah thanks yeah. for sharing that. You're welcome. Um. So. Yeah, where did you grow up? And um, you already told us that you were an identical twin, but is there anything else about your growing up years that would be, you know, interesting or good for us to know going into your story? When you had sent me that list of questions, I just really recalled that my first experience with being in a home, parents who cradled me and grandparents who were there often. As I've grown older, I've recognized how rare that is in mm. life. And so I feel quite fortunate for that. I also was raised in a culture that we always really strive to be perfect. And I do believe that that was part of my downfall, Mm. which we'll talk about later. But I am grateful for the way that I was raised. And most importantly, the way that I was taught to treat other human beings Mm. from my mother. No, that's great. Yeah. And it was Provo, Utah, right? Is where yes. you grew up? Okay. Provo, Utah. So my right whole here. life I've lived in Utah. Oh, yeah. And then where are you now and what brought you there? Such a great story. So I'm in South Jordan and I have this charming little lake house that is right by the Ochre Lake. And it's my safe place. It is only my children and a few others have actually ever been in my home because I I look at it as that safety net for me in this world. Mm. But how I ended up there is really how I started at Keller Williams. I was at the point, and I won't share all of those details now, where I needed to make a decision if I wanted to stay in Utah County by my home that I raised my children in, or if I needed to branch out and plant my roots in a different part of the world. Mm -hmm. So with the encouragement of my parents, I decided to buy this home in daybreak, just minutes away from my office. And I think it's amazing how in life we sometimes get foreshadowing of places that we will be taken. And I remember when my children were young and there was daybreak was just this new thing. And I would see signs on I-15 and I would be so intrigued. What Mm -hmm. is this daybreak place? And yet knowing with my husband's work in in new home construction, I would never be in daybreak. Mm -hmm. But then when the decision came or the point where I needed to make a decision, that was easier for me to make because I felt like that was the, the Lord's way of preparing mm. me for that. You were drawn to it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I do find it very um, peaceful there. Like mm-hmm. when I've gone and walked around the lake or whatever, I can see the draw to it. And it's kind of a really unique community compared to the rest of Utah. Yeah. You know, just the yeah. like... The feel. The feel of it and just um, that they really are making it, I feel like, a community. Like it's it's not a neighborhood. Yeah. An experience. That's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. But of everything, I will say this, when you've gone through what, what I've gone through and then you finally are let out of the 
first stage, which was this home for women, you don't take anything for granted. So Mm -hmm. my most memorable times in that home are just sitting on my back stairs and watching every fall the Canadian geese go by. Mm. I'll never take that for granted. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's love beautiful. It. Love it, love it. Okay, so now we know a little bit about you. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to kind of go into your life tra- transition. Um, so from that line you provided us, we talked about that the fall of 2018 was a crucial point in your story. So can you kind of tell us what led up to that point and then what happened in yes. 2018? So in 2018, I required a neck fusion. And it was the 14th surgery that I had had in an eight-year span. Wow. So after that surgery, I was very careless with the medication. Because I had developed this tolerance, I was taking four, five, even six pills where I was only supposed to take two Mm. just to relieve myself of the pain because it was quite a painful surgery. But as any other surgery that I had... I was hanging on to these medications for two, three weeks following where it almost became habitual where every month I would get these 90 pills, which is a whole other situation in and of itself right? Mm. Uh, with this opioid crisis that we are in. Yeah. Um, but I would get these pills and then I would just binge on mm. them. Then I would be miserable, not only from getting off of them but the pain from these surgeries I would have to feel Um, and I I noted that like at that time I really am taking these pills yes for physical pain but more for emotional so because you would go through the pills quicker than was prescribed because you were taking more yeah at least triple the amount okay so Thanksgiving comes and I don't remember much of that day but I remember days leading up to it because I was the hostess that year. So I was preparing things for each of the setting, the the place settings and doing all these overachiever things that I had always done that stage of my life. Mm-hmm. Unimportant, just extras. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember those, those moments, but then the next thing I remember is being in my bed for several days and I had lost all sense in my mind I was hardly speaking in sentences and I was hearing things and seeing things and finally my my family said it's time for you we've got to go to the hospital so they took me and ran tests on me and that was when they discovered that I had end-stage liver disease oh So I was seen in grids and my systems were all shutting down. And at that time in that room, I remember just pouring out all these things that I had done when I was under the influence and my, my husband was there, my husband at the time and my children. And I know that I hurt them. I remember moments of seeing them crying. They were suffering just as I was. But that experience ultimately led me to one of the most important events in Karen McEwen's life. <laughs> so, wow. Thank you for sharing. I'm sure that's kind of hard to 
almost relive or think about, but maybe mm. where you are today, that's what, you know, you have to talk about hard things. <laughs> that's yeah. part of, part of our human experience and go through hard things. But, um, yeah, that is, thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. That's hard. If you want, I can touch now more on where I went after that. Yeah. yeah, that would yeah be we'd awesome. love to hear yeah. more about so, that. <clears throat> you know, both parts of that story are very important to me. It was at this time that I promised my husband I would get help. Mm. So it was very interesting. There are no coincidences with God. I remember him researching homes and homes for women, rehab centers, and this particular one that he found was represented by these two individuals that came into my room. And one of the individuals I had cheered with his sister all through high school. Oh, wow. So I was immediately connected. And I felt like, okay, this is, this is interesting. Um, I definitely need to hear what he has to say. He was with another gal and they had both been addicts they were recovering Mm. so they had quite quite a bit of story to tell me when they were there and they gave me a pamphlet of this home called Annie's house and I looked through the pamphlet I open it up and there is a picture on the wall that was the exact picture that I had hung in my home that had always really spoken to me. It's a woman and there are these angelic spirits all coming down upon her and putting their hands on her head. And that resonated with me too. So from the hospital, I went, I was yellowed because my liver wasn't functioning correctly, but I was dropped off at the treatment center. And It was really at that time that I felt my husband pulling away completely. I almost felt like he was dropping me off because he was done with me. And the the trauma and the hard, hard moments that followed really shaped who I am. But even in preparing for this podcast, it's interesting you say that you revisit these moments. A lot of things came up for me last night. And I can still feel the pain of being dropped off in my core. I, I felt like I was being shamed and taken from the whole that whole part of my life I was never able to return so I worked so hard when I was in this treatment center for 51 days I I met with therapists I became honest you have to understand that this group of women they were prostitutes and homeless women and at that time I was just this entitled housewife who never worried about money. And I happened to fall into the addiction of pills where theirs were much deeper with meth and cocaine and heroin. And I just decided, I don't, I don't even remember what day it was of those 51 that I decided, okay, my similarities are far more than my differences. Our chemicals might be slightly different, but they're still chemicals. A drug is a drug. And there was this moment, this defining moment when we were in a circle 
rehab is just like the movies. <laughs> you are in circles. And this young girl, maybe 20 years younger than myself, was sharing this story about drugs I'd never heard of and things that had happened to her physically and mentally. And it was too much. So I I went into the bathroom and I just started crying and, and I couldn't contain it. And my therapist came in and said, what's the problem? And I said, I've never heard of these things in my whole life. I didn't know this darkness existed. And she said, Carrie, you're no different. Oh, wow. You need to get back out there. Yeah, I'm sure that was really oh. hard to like, you wanted to probably separate yourself. Like, I'm not homeless. Completely. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not, yeah. you know, but the, we all have our, you know, demons and, you know, addictions or whatever. And to almost, did you feel like after that, like, did you feel a connection with those women oh, after that? Yes. They, they became my family when I had none. Mm. At this point, my children had completely separated from me. And there were one or two that would come on Sundays when we had family visit for an hour or two. But, you know, they, they were healing. And you can't ever judge someone in how they process pain. Children process it differently. I was processing it differently. And I've learned so much about judgment of others in this process. And you just have to let people feel what they're feeling. I had to let them, I had to be okay that they didn't want to come. Yeah, that's hard. I'm sure, especially at the time. But knowing your individual kids' personalities, maybe it made sense. You know, I feel like you could imagine certain ones maybe would need a little more time and space and everything. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. So these women became my friends and yeah. I would cook for them. That was my way of showing love. And so whenever the cook, we had a cook all week long, but on the weekends he didn't work. So I would get up early. I would make breakfast and then lunch. And it felt like I had this rhythm of what it was like to be in the home with a family. It did just as much for me as the warm cooked food did for them. Right. Mm. And I'm sure some of them maybe have never had that. Like you were saying, you had a home where your parents, you felt really loved and taken care of. And some of these women probably didn't ever feel that way. So it probably felt really, probably felt very loved and accepted by your, just your, you know, sacrifice or service. I mean, you, but you got joy out of it too. I'm kind of that way. I had this towel. I can't remember what it said, but it says something like my love language is, making food for the ones I love or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way. Like if I have, Oh, I should bake some bread or I should make some cookies. Like, yeah, cause yeah. it brings me joy. But I know that the offering to those women, I'm sure was huge yeah. that they had almost felt like someone was taking care of them oh, in a way, you know? I, yeah. And they, they took care of and one me. of them. Yeah. Like one of their own, not just someone else that works there, but you were going through what they went through and wanted to serve them, you know? So I think that's really neat. Yeah, and I'll be real with you. I wasn't happy that I spent 51 days because there were people in deeper addictions that were 30 days. And I went to my therapist and I said, why? Why am I having to stay? Mm. And he said, because now it's your time to help others. So so did you feel like, was there a point in there where you were like, okay, this is going to work. Like, I think I'm going to be hmm. able to be free of my addiction, you know, with the therapy and 
I guess just having that separation from access to the pills too, right? Like, I'm just curious, you know, what that was like. Well, I think when you're an addict, every addict has to hit rock bottom. Mm. So I'm really glad that you brought this up. When I was there for about a week, I was told that I had to switch from this beautiful light bedroom on the main floor to the basement bedroom because someone else was coming in that had special needs and needed the room. So they put me in this cold basement room where there was an exit sign, an emergency exit. It just was nothing like far from what you would call a room. I almost felt like I was in a closet. And there were three beds and I was by myself. So in this room, I remember one night, I got on my knees and I said, God, if you want me to heal, I have got to have you intercede here because I want to die. I want to give up. It would be easier for me to die and be free from all of this than have to heal from it. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to help me, it's got to be now. So that was a real turning point. But then you have to realize that even though that that was that one moment of, okay, I'm going to do this, there were still really hard things to go through. They unbuild you for the process of rebuilding. And I'd had this therapist appointment and he just made me say so many things that I had done and I was completely guilty of, but It hurt being honest because I was not used to being honest. Mm -hmm. And he said, Carrie, I can say these things to you because you're not a runner. And in my mind, I just thought challenge accepted. (laughs) You can't say that to me because I'm stubborn. So later that night, or it was, you know, early evening when people were prepping for dinner, I thought, okay, this is my time. I am going to be a runner. So I had my Ugg boots on. I don't even think I had a coat because I was upstairs trying to help with the dinner and I just bolted out the front door. You're like, I'm out of here. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I was a runner. I am not a fighter. I am a flighter. (laughs) So I went and walked three miles down the road to, there's a holiday, I believe, off of 126th. I walked to that holiday and borrowed the cashier's phone and called my husband and I said, you can't, you have to come get me. I'm done. This is too hard. So he came up with my parents and I will never forget his words. He said, Carrie, you do not have a home right now. This is your only home. That was painful. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm wow. sure. And so he returned me, but... I said, Matt, look, if you're going to return me, then you've got to at least take me to Michael's to get some crafts. <laughs> so I was still trying. Oh, my gosh. Do any addicts, addicts are manipulators. <laughs> so oh. you're like, fine, I'll go back. But. I did get some crafts. So the, <laughs> well, the ladies are like, yeah. I don't think that's manipulative. That's being, <laughs> being <laughs> smart. Like, take advantage of your time out for a minute. Oh, my goodness. It was a bit like that. Yeah. I don't know your husband. I don't know the situation for sure. But I'm sure, like... That was still hard for him to say that, but he oh, knew he yeah. he knew he had to because either you Absolutely. would go back or the relationship wouldn't be as it was. It wasn't going to be, and so he just wanted to make sure you got the help you needed, and that was 
like a probably a really hard thing to say and probably your parents it was probably like really hard for them because they'd be like no 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 she has a place with us you know yeah <laughs> but they right. asked had to also be like no like you have to um I have a few family members that have gone through AA and and it's like you said they have they had to both of them had to hit rock bottom that's right and it had to be you know a point where we're like we can't help you anymore you like you have to decide to get help and you have to decide to yeah. get reco- you know to go into recovery and we are trying to help you get there but it's up to your choice to get there and be there and the home you're in did it do the AA program yeah so we would go to AA meetings every single night that was what was required of us and I'll be honest my favorite meetings were the meth meetings because the people were so humble and I felt like they were my family it was nice feeling comfortable around them yeah, I think that's so important for every, for all of us in any situations to feel some sort of comfort or connection with someone and yeah. to not feel alone. Yeah. I think feeling alone, maybe like when you got to that basement or when you first got dropped off, is just an awful feeling. Yeah. To feel like no one understands me. I don't have anybody to connect to, but to find these women and maybe even your therapists or whatever to have that connection could maybe be the like something that gets you hour by hour, day by day. I yeah. completely agree. They... They really strengthened me when I needed them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, okay, thanks yeah, for sharing that's all that. really good. So what happened, I guess, if you're ready to move out, like, is there any more stories you want to tell about being in treatment or anything you want to talk about? I remember moments now. It's been four years. And I think my favorite moment in that entire 51-day span I want you to know it was very hard because I had a daughter get married during this time and I was told by my bishop at that time that I shouldn't go in and and see her get married and that was hard. It's nothing like when you have your first child get married, you have these visions their whole growing up years and it was nothing like what I envisioned at that point. I decided that I would just take what I got and I remember there were women there that had stayed up for me so that when I got home they could support me. So you got to leave because we were talking about this a little bit earlier for six hours on the day of her wedding? Okay. And then when you say you weren't able to go in, you mean to inside of the temple? Is that what I'm assuming? Okay. Yeah. I had made some choices and he just didn't feel that that was appropriate. But I was helped that day by angels, and um, the burden seemed a little bit lighter. Oh, yeah, and that really is a cool, like, that you that those women were waiting for you, knowing that it was a really hard day for you. I know. And they yeah. were ready to, like, you know, wrap you in their yeah, arms. wrap you, you know, up once you are back. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and that was so brave of you to go, too. Like, I mean, of course, you're not going to want to miss your daughter's wedding, but I'm sure leaving and being there with probably all your family and everyone knowing what was going on, like right. I mean, shamed. Yes. Shamed yes. is I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I just thought it I mean that, that that's just pretty gave amazing me the that chills. you did that. Yeah, yeah, same. I will remember I remember that. Yeah. Being up there like it was a dinner. It was a large dinner because he's uh from England and it was just maybe seventy people and I had to be at the front and I had to answer questions Mm. I had forgotten all about that yeah 
Yeah. Well, that's really, I think, shows a lot of strength for sure. Because you could have just stayed and not that I would fault anyone for doing that either. You know, and said, yeah. I just am in treatment and I can't go. Yeah. To try to avoid the discomfort and, but you know, it was your daughter. And like oh. you said, I mean, you were going to be I'm there. sure, yeah. It was a, like a happy day for her. And you were probably happy for her, but a very painful day and for so you. so different than what you'd envisioned, like you said. So. Well, I think sometimes we tell ourselves stories before we future, like the forecast is grim. And we we always convince ourselves. I still do that it's a situation's going to be a lot worse than it really mm. ends up being. Yeah. So That's I do true. find that to be true. That's yeah. true. We can yeah. build things up. So maybe in a way you were like, well, that wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. Truly. I mean, you know, because people actually are pretty amazing. I mean, I'm they sure everyone are. looked at you and thought, wow, like I'm impressed that she's here. And Absolutely. I would have been the same. But of course, I'm glad you brought that up too, is we tell we tell ourselves these stories in our minds. Like you probably are familiar with Brene Brown. She talks Absolutely. about that, like the stories that we, and I know I'm guilty of that and we all That's are well. at times. So yeah. sometimes it's like, let's just not worry about what other people think yeah, really all the time. It's, right, and just do what's going to be best for us. Yeah, people are, they give you a lot more grace than right. we give them credit for. Because we're the same. Yeah, right. We give people grace. Yes. So why would we assume that they won't give us any? Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, well, it's just so like true. what you said, that therapist said in that circle. Like, we're all the same. Right. You know, I mean, going back to that, whether we're in a treatment facility with other addicts or we're at a wedding with a bunch of other People that may not seem like they have their own issues, but, oh, I'm sure that they all do. Oh, we all have addictions. (laughs) Some are just more hidden than others. Yeah, totally. We all have secrets. Mine made made me sick. Yeah, Yeah. right. Some secrets are are that way. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so when you got out of treatment, um, what was the next kind of transition? I think, um, where was your home? Like, where... Where did you go? Yeah. Well, I remember when my therapist said, okay, Carrie, it's time to go, but I have to have a real conversation with you. If you get out and your family doesn't want you or your husband doesn't want to be with you, what's going to happen to you emotionally? And I remember telling him that I would kill myself because I couldn't imagine a life without my family my life would be not wouldn't be of worth and then he said well here's the deal you're gonna be on your own and in recovery the opposite of addiction is attraction and connection and I can say that that second phase of that treatment program I did on my own by myself. Mm. Well, and I found a home in six hours. I was let out. There was an open house for it to be rented. It was a miracle. There was someone there ready to show me the house. So I found this home, but it was only five minutes for my, the home in Highland that I raised my children in. Mm. And I remember just pleading with Matt, please let me just come home and sleep under the same roof and I remember him saying you can't that is our safe place which I understood but then in my mind I thought well I'm not a monster Um, and I have to say right now that 
I completely understand why Matt acted the way that he did. I have such compassion for him and for the amount of patience that was required to be married to me. And he has a lovely wife now. I adore her and she's so good to my kids. And I think, well, maybe this was all meant to be. But I lived in this home and went to day treatment. And this is where a miracle happens. There was a man who was a horrible alcoholic in this, in this second level because it was combined with men now. And he, I, he knew that I needed a job or something to keep me safe during the day. It wasn't even the money as much keeping me safe. So he told me that there was this opening for a receptionist in his daughter's office at KW. I didn't even know what KW was. (laughs) (laughs) I'd been in the home building industry for like 23 years, but I didn't know what KW was. So I put a dress on, I went and applied, had an interview, it went well, and I ended up getting that job. Every day I would welcome people. So when I didn't have a family, that KW family stepped up and I would, I would work a lot. I would go to work really early and I would stay late because I felt safe. Welcoming people, introducing them to others and asking them how their day was. And then I started thinking, well, if she can sell real estate, and if he can sell real estate, then I can sell real estate. (laughs) So in six weeks, I got my license, and I tested the day before COVID shut everything down. (laughs) Thankfully, I passed. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So that's a miracle in and of itself. Right. So you got that job like pretty immediately after leaving. Yeah. Wow. Wow, That kept me safe. That's amazing. So you probably kept pretty busy, like you're saying, between your job and then the meetings. You said like day treatment? Were you doing that at the time as well? So when I got my job, I remember they were upset with me because they said, and this is true, anything you put before your recovery, you will lose. That's what we're taught. Oh, okay. And so they were definitely, they had some strong words for me. Carrie, why are you doing this? You don't need this job. But I I did it anyways because I'm stubborn. And... (laughs) Then I went to just the night treatment. So okay. I'd go to work and then I would go at night or I would go in the morning before work. It mm. just, that was what we did mm. for a little while until I felt like I was free enough that I, was, awesome. I could graduate. I think that's so good because I'm sure keeping busy, it was super healthy for you at that time. I mean, obviously not overdoing it either, but like you were having to either sit alone during the day or during the night. You were, you know, with your family at work, your work family, and then with people that you related to so yeah I think it's neat the way it worked out for you for sure it was definitely a miracle we call it blessings of sobriety and it was definitely a blessing of being sober yeah that's so great wow so that's already so good I mean I just feel like I mean I haven't heard your full story but I got some of the story when I you know I've met with you at Keller Williams a few times and i Every time I just left, like, wow, she's amazing. She's just strong. She's a good example. She's resilient, you know. And obviously, the story I was hearing was the after, the the few years passed, and the where you were now. So yeah. to hear what you went through is even, it's even more inspiring because, yeah. you know, realizing you lost, you know, for a while, you know, your family and 
Well, and Chantel, you, it was such a miracle because I felt a connection to you. And I remember in the interview processes, you being partnered with Keller, you were such a great listener. And you made me so comfortable in sharing my experience. And I, I share it quite a bit with new agents now because they're starting over and they're maybe middle-aged like myself or young and they've never had a career, but we all start over at some point. Mm -hmm. So I can connect with them on that level about being brave and anything after 90 days, if you just change 1%, you're 90% better or 1% for a hundred days and you're a hundred percent better. That's what I can remember. And I think that um, we talked in our last interview about how vulnerability brings connection And I think that's what's so cool, as I found with my father-in-law that went through AA. He's a very um, just open person with his recovery, and it's been 30-plus years now. But he's very honest in what he did or, you know, in the past and his mistakes. But he also is one of those people you can have a conversation with, or like you, that you can connect because they've shared something super hard. So then you feel that connection where you can feel like you can share as well. I just think that is really amazing. And I, I, it's funny, like whenever he comes down to visit, I'm like, wow, I feel like every time I have a conversation with him, one of us tears up and we have some <laughs> deep, meaningful, like, yeah. you know, connection of conversation. But I think because of going to rock bottom, building himself back up, same thing. I mean, he lost his, you know, family and kids and, and I'm not, you know, it was, it was a hard, hard time. He was kind of alone in so many ways. And I think even to this day, his friends are his AA friends. He still goes quite often and that's his way of serving. That's his way of connection. That's his community. That's even his spirituality is all in that. And it's been, it's, I didn't know anything about a until I yeah. married into the family. And I, I just, yeah, find that, yeah, the vulnerability and sharing a story probably with these new agents, not knowing their background or what they're going through. And just even for me is just amazing. I mean, whether they shared back with you or not. Yeah. That they feel very comfortable around you. Like, well, she's being real with me. So I feel comfortable and I have this connection that I can be. I'm not just selling them on something that. Right. Most brokerages would. Right. Yeah. And I had interviewed with other brokerages and obviously, and maybe just a combination of Keller Williams and you, but I was like, wow, this, this is way different. (laughs) I'm just really glad though, that you said that and shared that experience with your grandpa, because I will say, I have more friends now in my imperfect state and my vulnerable state than I ever did when I was always pretending to be perfect. Mm. Well, and probably like, yeah, real friends too. Yeah. Connections. Yeah. Right. It's just so much, so much deeper, the connection when when you're real. Yeah. We have so many similarities and sometimes we only focus on differences. Yeah. When we're 99% the same. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all humans here trying to navigate navigate this life. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so what would you say, maybe what was the most challenging part of this transition we've talked about so far in your journey? Well, I would definitely say that the loneliness is tangible. I remember there would be weekends when I would be at home coming home on a Friday and I would be watching TV and 
my remote was one of those that you speak into. And I remember speaking into it and it was odd hearing a voice because of so much silence I'd had. And I, I, I just, I got through it. Anything that's hard now, I can get through it. If I overcame death, I can overcome anything. And it's, now I look back at it and I, I wish that at the very beginning I would have seen it as a blessing because we have to look at trials in a different way. They're there to, to help us grow. And we wouldn't be who we are today without them, period. You don't grow in a perfect state. You have to have these teaching moments. Right, and that is just so hard because when you're going through them, you just don't want to be there. Yeah. You don't. It's more hindsight of like, wow, I learned this and this and this or whatever it yeah. is, but going through it and you don't, you know, wish anybody to go through anything, including yourself or your kids or anybody, but it's the only way to learn and to grow and to be more compassionate yeah. and have and empathy. And just when you think that your life is over, like with the hardship, something else happens. Yeah. In, the, in this period of time when I was at home, I only had been at the house for maybe two weeks when I went to the local LDS ward. And then that next week I was excommunicated. And wow. by two men that, or three men, I had no idea who they were. They didn't know my story. They did now because I shared it with them. But I just was like another moment where I felt knocked down yeah I'm sure you were trying to go there to find some community and right. to find some friends or feel something if you you know if your family was being distant at this time you just maybe and, and growing up maybe that was a safe place for you that's right and then to go in and feel like okay they don't even want me here I was banished I felt banished like mm. I just had been kicked out of a family then kicked out of a church yeah. And I was lost. You you receive a letter that comes after you've been excommunicated. The elders are they bring it over and it's the language is raw. It's you've been cut from the the fold of God. Mm. And I'd given my life to the detriment of my marriage to the church. I helped write their curriculum for 8 10 years. For oh, wow. the come follow me and that I was in the beginning stages of that with a group of people and I just really learned the doctrines of that church which I to this day I love the doctrines but I've had to separate because of the cultural aspect my relationship with God is very personal I don't have to express it to a community. That's been really hard for my parents and I love them dearly. But that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think that's so important for your healing and your the and and it's brave to say that because it is hard in this community, especially in Utah, to kind of do that. Yeah, and take your own path for what is going to work for you to have your relationship with God and find that peace spiritually you know yeah and it just 
I mean, hearing you say it like that makes so much sense. Like yeah. that should be what we all do wherever that True wherever that us. lands us or takes us. Yeah. It should be our own path, not someone else's. Yeah. Path. And it's, you know, unfortunate that other people choose, you know, make the decision in the case of like the excommunication, but at least you were able to take like we've talked about with all these other challenges, like take that and and make your own path based on right. what happened, you know, and and like with through the growth and the change, like you gain so much wisdom. You know, I think that's what I keep thinking. I'm like, she's so wise. I mean, oh, you're, you're yeah, you really are. So, well, sure. that just came because of experience. Yeah, and but... I still don't feel wise. I still feel like I'm growing, and I still feel lonely. Yeah, even last night. This last weekend, I feel lonely. My house is so quiet, but um, you know, I made decisions, and my kids have grown, and I'm just I'm glad just that I'm alive. Oh, for sure. I have to look at it that way. Yeah, yeah, we are too. And yes. I think you're so brave for being here and sharing your story. I mean, it's still only been four years since this whole thing started you know so i'm just so impressed with your vulnerability right and our whole kind of idea and purpose of this podcast is to help other people and i know that your story sorry is gonna help a lot of people yeah and that's why we do this we want to share other people's stories so they don't feel alone they feel like someone has been through something similar to them yeah and especially if they're at the beginning stages they can see that you are you know, growing and learning and helping other people. And I'm sure, like, you don't know how many people you've helped. You probably don't know already by sharing your story. I hope. (laughs) Because when you share it, you heal. And I've had people ask me, Carrie, why do you love? Why do you love so freely? And I think that the reason I do is because I don't ever want anyone to feel like I felt. Mm. So that's my connection to people. If I can just do anything to lift them so they don't feel that way, then my mission is complete. Yeah. And I'm sure you've already yeah, done that a lot and will continue to do that. When I think people listening to your story here and everywhere that you've been sharing, I mean, like we you touched on earlier, like the opioid crisis is so severe right now. And so there's Especially people that in can, Utah. Yeah. yeah, even in Utah more so. So there's people going through all kinds of hard things that know how you feel and feel the same. But then there's people that literally probably are going through something so similar. Probably a lot of people we don't, we know, know that we don't yeah. even know that they're oh, going through yeah. this because we know by the numbers, it's like very high. So to have hope, like you've been through so much, but look at the amazing, like all you're doing. I mean, you're a director at Keller Williams only four years after you entered rehab. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It really is. So I know you're still working yeah. through a lot of these feelings and, and I think we're, we all are, you know, like there's so many things, but I just, yeah, I just have a lot of admiration wow. for you. So I just wanted you to know that. Thank you. That means a lot. I, hope that someone's able to take from this that's my goal in sharing my story is that someone will hear it and be brave enough to say I need help right. and and for these souls I I want to speak for them because they they need love 
and it's really hard for someone who is a normal person we called them normals um to understand what an addict is thinking in their mind drugs are just the false end it's anxiety it's depression we're numbing something and so it's it's hard to understand what an addict is going through but the most important thing you can do as a loved one is show them that they are safe and that they are loved in any condition right then they'll have the desire yeah but that's important because they're just like people listening that may have an addiction problem or in the midst of trying to recover be um you have the family members and the people that want to know what to do and how to help and how to be there so I think that's important to just, yeah, show them, like, we're here and we love you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, well, you've already shown so much vulnerability um, so far, and we really appreciate that. Um, we're wondering, like, what would you say is the most vulnerable part of your story in this transition? I think the amount of loss when when I was out of the treatment center and on my own that feeling of loss and needing human connection and realizing that it's okay to not be perfect. You can be loved in your imperfect state and working hard like to be connected to my children again. When they started coming back, I went from the depths and I worked. You have to work. You have to be willing to do hard things to get to this point where you know you're out of that worst, the worst, your most vulnerable state. Mine was on the floor of that dark room pleading with God to help me. And it got every day a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. Rehab's hard, though. It's, It's something that... You know, you get your three phone calls. It's like jail. <laughs> yeah. The reality of it is is it's it's a controlled environment. And when those are taken from you, when I ran away, they took away my calls and my visits that week. And for the first time in my life, I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm taking accountability for something. <laughs> I'm being punished. <laughs> yeah. This is what being punished feels like. <laughs> so, yeah, just learning from everything and being at peace, knowing if someone else knows that I'm not perfect, I am completely comfortable with that now. Yeah, I wouldn't have so been good. able to say that 10 years ago. That's such an important lesson. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about, like, life perspectives that have come from your transition but I thought I would if you don't mind read the description you gave us about your transition in the beginning of the email because it was just or when we were emailing back and forth Mm -hmm. I should say it's just a really beautiful description so um, because I think it kind of sums up life perspectives and then you can expand on it that that you've taken so you said um, turning a life of ashes and restoring it to beauty even better than before becoming humble and teachable in our weaknesses and turning them into our greatest strengths, coming to terms that we are not meant to be perfect, which you just touched on. And I love that it's through our flaws. We're able to connect with others and heal together. So you've kind of already talked about um, some of those points, but if you wanted to expand on that and maybe any other lessons that you've learned. Well, I, 
when you re- read that, it's that beauty from ashes that has always stuck with me. I'm, I love the Bible and the story of Job. And at his worst, he's sitting on this heap of ashes and is being rejected and, and forsaken. And, but he does, he never stops believing that he's going to be okay. And I, oh gosh, I related to that. And I held on to that knowing that after when he healed and was okay, he was so much happier than even before. Mm-hmm. I, I held on to that. And I recognized that no matter where we want to be in life, we have to be able to work and do things that we're uncomfortable with. Growing is uncomfortable, but there is no growth in the comfort zone. And you have to take accountability on a regular basis for things that are making you fall short, whether they be with your character or as a mother, as a father. Take accountability and be willing to act better, improving yourself. A lot of it's just an attitude adjustment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And then at the end, accepting the fact that you did all you could to improve and you can still be imperfect but you're working towards something I believe I wish every adult honestly would go to rehab it it makes you look at your life <laughs> in a completely different light it teaches you the true importance of not only making mistakes but growing the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous I still live by them. The first one being, I'm accepting the fact that I'm weak. And they're very spiritually driven and that I need God's help in order to get better. And it's, the last one is that I'm going to share this message. And I try to do that every day. I try to share this message so that I can help a soul. And I'll always have mental illness. I'll always have prone to be um, depressed. And I have, I've learned that, thankfully I have friends that will help me through those really rough moments. But I always come back. I'm, I'm always okay. And even just sitting here today, when you go through trauma, Uh, like abandonment for example it revisits you and it comes on like a tsunami and you just have to feel it get it through and and know that you're going to get reprieve in the next minute you it'll it'll settle down but I'll never be able to be free completely of that mental illness well, that's another thing that's so relevant in our, in society, you know, um, and like you said, I think that that's, well, it's the, let's see, what do they call it? The buffering uh, with the medications and things that's covering up the mental illness, right? So it's, right. Um, it's also interconnected. And so it's so important to address and just talk about it like oh, you yeah. are right now, you know, I think getting it out in the open so many of us struggle with anxiety, depression, different things like that. So if we can be 
and sharing with others. Like if we can relate to each other and realize, okay, I'm not alone in this, then maybe less people will turn oh, yeah. to the buffering However, they do it, whether it's pills or food or pills were my you know, parachute. Alcohol or, yeah, <laughs> they were my parachute. Right. I almost felt like an imposter sometimes because I wanted to appear perfect, but I was not. Yeah, I think yeah. I felt like that. an imposter. Yeah, or feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to keep talking, <laughs> no. but about the perfection that I thought of that's so interesting as you were saying. Let's see, you wanted to appear perfect and it just kind of clicked to me because I'm like, so we all do this. Like you want to appear perfect, but, um, but we're not willing to kind of admit to others that we aren't. Right. So it's kind of this cycle. Like when, if we can just basically like you were saying, like be vulnerable with our people that we're connecting with every day to be like, apologize for when we maybe act out of character than what we would want to. So admit that we're not perfect Instead of just acting like that and then moving on and, oh, keeping this persona like I'm perfect and I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, if we are kind of recognizing our weaknesses and it's okay that we're not perfect, but we're actually just going to be strengthening our character, strengthening our relationships. Because if we're just pretending like we're perfect all the time, we know we're not. (laughs) We all know. And the other people around us know we're not. So It's such a waste of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I even feel like, oh, I just did that last night. I was kind of snappy and rude. And I I should apologize for that and admit I wasn't perfect. You know, I'm not, I don't need to hold that like perception that I was right in that moment. You know what I mean? Because who's that helping? No one. Well, and when you wake up, just give yourself grace. (laughs) Remember three awesome things about yourself before you go out and in treatment, they made us write them with a expo marker on our mirrors. Like, okay, what am I grateful for? What are three awesome things? We had to actually look in the mirror and say, I love you. I love you. I love you for Mm. two minutes straight. Because at that point, none of us, we had no (laughs) self-worth, but you start believing it when you, when you say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And in life, I think a lot of this, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but we get so wrapped up in loving others that we don't, we neglect ourselves. Mm. I think that's so true. And I feel like we also are a little more forgiving of others' faults, but we're not so forgiving of our own. Oh, mm. yeah. And so, yeah, it feels like the, yeah, telling yourself you love yourself, accepting you and your faults is important. And why not give yourself the same grace you would give your a yeah. child or your spouse or whoever, a best friend, you know, that you would, oh, yeah, I you would, I don't know, it's amazing that we don't give ourselves more. That. That's so true. Yeah. So true. I think that's an important lesson in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you, I don't know um, if you feel comfortable sharing, like what are some things you do now for your mental health that, I mean, whether it's on a walk or bike ride or hike or therapist or well, friends, like getting s- together with friends, what is what are some of your mental health, you know, practices? You know, I, I think my favorite thing to do is just sit quietly on my porch in the backyard and the dogs are running around and I do have that companionship which I'm grateful for Mm -hmm. but walking around the lake looking at the stars I remember when I was in treatment I would at night would go to these AA meetings and when we would come back the stars would just shine and I remember feeling one night this is the first time that I can look up at the stars and not feel guilty I feel like God sees me as I really am. I'm not hiding anything like the stars. So the stars since that moment have always been a very powerful um, symbol to me. 
you have to live taking advantage and loving every moment. For me, it's watching people walk by my front door when there's farmer's market or talking with a neighbor. These are simple things. I don't, I don't like to go to the mall. I don't do things like that, but it's, they're quiet moments. I, I reprieve always to just quiet moments for myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And I think we've found with a lot of people when we ask them like similar questions, it really is a simple thing, huh? Yeah. A lot yeah. of times, and a lot of it has to do with nature. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah. You know, and like, like peace, a peaceful, quiet moment maybe to yourself. And We live in such a noisy point. world. Yes. So when we can escape from that, it's, it's so healing. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think, if do you have anything else you want to share that maybe we haven't touched on? I think that, um, like I said, I just, if there was one last message, is when we're struggling and there's absolutely nothing we can do with our environment, we have to change ourselves. We have to be able to recognize that you have to, I've got to change. This isn't working. Uh, my favorite book, Victor Frankl is amazing. And he was a survivor of the Holocaust. And one of my favorite quotes in his book talks about how a man would go about giving his last pieces of bread to these other Jews that were there in the in the bunks and with how horrible and ugly that whole situation was, this man still took the opportunity to help someone else and give up his last pieces of bread. He changed himself in a circumstance that was scary and dark. And that that to me has, has probably been my number one attribute is changing myself and loving others is is what I learned probably the most through this journey um, of of recovery. And here I am four years sober. If you would have asked me September of 2018 that I would be sober, I just thought that was going to be the life I lived. I never saw myself. I didn't have the will I didn't have the knowledge to free myself from these substances but so many things are going to be put in your way in your path once you decide to change people that are skilled will help you with whatever it be you have family that loves you we all express love in different ways but I promise they love you I'm just grateful for being able to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's through our secrets, like I said, they do make us sick, but through the vulnerability, we gain friends and we're able to help others. And I hope when I die and I leave this this world, A, I want, I want my children to know that they were loved. But B, I want mankind, I want to leave a mark of, of love. And I did it. 
I, I was able to do hard things and I lived and I'm just, I, I, I'm so grateful. I know it sounds ridiculous for that addiction because I wouldn't be, I feel like I'm always where I was meant to be. It, as weird as that sounds. No, I think it's, I mean, I think it's beautiful. I mean, I think it's a, a good way to think about this because you could think, poor me, why, why, why? And it would probably lead you to a different place. But instead, you've chosen a different outlook and a different, I don't know. Awesome. Yeah, and you found peace and and now sharing with others. And anyway, it's powerful. And, and you know, like I said, I really think it's going to help a lot of people. So, you know, I think that you're a very, like, personable um vulnerable person and maybe like you're saying you're grateful for the addiction maybe you wouldn't have been able to reach your full potential with vulnerability and connecting with people had it not been for that I mean I'm not trying to like how that can make sense you know what I mean so yeah I I just think like you're saying I mean somehow crazy as life is like it all you know especially when you're at the point that you are now you can look at it all and make sense of it so I have to look at it as a new opportunity. Right. When I was uh, unable to go back to my home or back to that LDS ward um, that I was cut from, (laughs) that that was hard. But I got the opportunity to create a whole new life and have friendships that I wouldn't have had. You know, your cells completely change every seven years. I am so grateful that I was able to do that a little faster than seven years, but, (laughs) but really I, I think it's a pretty amazing thing that as human beings, we have that opportunity to change. Right. That's kind of what we're, I mean, obviously what we're focusing on in this podcast and it is cool. Like I've learned a lot just with some of the research we've done and stuff about how we are very adaptable as humans. Like we don't feel like we are because when we're going through it, change is so hard and and it's uncomfortable, but usually, and I think I even heard like, even on the other side of two years, you're, you're capable of getting through a whole lot. And then every year it just was going to get, I shouldn't say easier cause it's always difficult, but maybe feel more natural that like, I went through this huge transition and I'm, I did it like you, like you're here, you're surviving to tell your story. So anyway, yeah. it's really Thanks. neat. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. And I do yeah. feel like, um, even with your, you know, relationships with your children and how hard that was, like they've seen you do this. Like that's mm-hmm. huge for yeah. them to see someone they do love and care about. And then even at a time it was hard, you know, maybe to have a relationship with you or to forgive you or however they were feeling. Like they've also seen you like climb out of it, out of the, you know, and they, that when they go through things in their life, they're going to be able to pull on the things that they've learned from you. Yeah. Which I agree. Is, and I to hear your words, like these wet wisdom that you're sharing, you know, I think it will, I mean, yeah. stick with them so much so they can turn to that because we're, they're going to go through hard things too. Like we all are truly. So. And words are the most amazing thing. They'll mm-hmm. words live forever. Right. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. And they can be so powerful and to connect with you in the right moment. Sometimes it won't mean anything when you hear something or read something, but sometimes it's just what you need to hear to get you through. So, yeah. um, I feel like we've already heard so many beautiful things from you and the ways that you find beauty. But we, um, at the end of each podcast, we want to ask how you find beauty in life after going through this transition. I would say again, it's the simple things. It's the things that don't cost money. It's 
those quiet moments when the first snow falls and you get to see Christmas lights and <laughs> you, you have the freedom to do what you want to do. Like I said, these moments of trauma come back sometimes and I remember feeling entrapped and even though treatment is so important and so necessary, it is hard. And my ability to be able to drive down the street and look at the Christmas lights by myself. And I use Christmas lights because I was in the house during the Christmas season. Mm. So that's always what sticks out to me. But every person needs peace. Every person needs to walk away from their electronics and feel that earthly peace that we are able to feel in those quiet moments. That's when we recover from, from everything from the day. Yeah. I, I cannot say enough how I hope that this touches someone, that it reaches the one soul because then it's worth that to me. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Definitely, it will. You've already, like, I don't know, touched me and helped yeah. me and things yeah. in my life, for sure. I know, so. and I'm already thinking of all the people I'm excited, like, you know, my family members to listen to this because, I mean, I know for sure they'll listen to the podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I'm so, I, mean, I would yeah. say mom, husband, dad, you yeah. know, children, hopefully. But I'm so excited for them to hear it. But then, you know, there's going to be many more. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I feel we like really one appreciate thing it. you said that I thought was beautiful in your outline, you said there is always hope. You can lose everything and still have all you need to make a life. And I think that you've shown us that, that even in the dark, dark basement, there was still some hope. And then you just kind of worked your way out of it and climbed out yeah, of it with the help, so good. you know, with help from a lot of people. But a lot of it was you having the strength and resilience and to learn to love yourself that you were worth saving and worth having a life yeah i agree (laughs) so thank you yeah thank you so much that was amazing it was my pleasure and we want people to be able to reach you if you want to be reachable and help you know support your business as a realtor and even killer williams so carrie.butler at kw.com yes Mm -hmm. i'm recently i've changed my name oh awesome so it's very empowering Going back to my roots. It's your oh, maiden name. name. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's, that's neat. Yeah. yeah. That can be really powerful. So Yeah. Um, and then and that's say, Facebook or email. Yes, please feel free. And if you reach me, I can give you a number of resources. There are so many centers in our community. And my particular uh, plan was with Steps. It's called Annie's House. It's in Draper. So that's an all-woman facility, but there are many, many more in the community that range in price and whatever with insurance you'll be aided. But it's it's definitely, I'm open to talk to anyone about this. Oh, that's that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, and we'll list, you know, some of your resources we'll get yeah, from you. Yeah, we can list those. And then when we... Um when this is on Instagram and Facebook and stuff, we'll, can, we'll like tag you in it. So people knowing that are listening to this, you can go to our Instagram account and click over to Carrie's profile. And if you need to reach out to her, if you know, if you need help or other resources, we would love to direct you to her because she's very willing to talk. Right. And, and it makes it obviously worth it. <laughs> amazing, yeah. amazing person. Yeah. So a great resource, but yeah, we'll also list like Annie's house and whatever else you want to include. So perfect. 
Okay, thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and follow it along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life is my own I'll start again, my mind is free now I can feel the truth I'll take a chance, I won't be wrong Here's Now it's time to move along Now it's time